In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. One of my favorite movies is The Life of Pi. I've also read the book. I don't know how many of you have seen it, but it's the story of an Indian boy who grows up in India and his dad runs a zoo. It's a pretty cool way to grow up. And Pi, the boy, loves animals, but he loves something else even more. He loves God. From a young age, he's fascinated with stories of God from all the religious traditions he can get his hands on. He's fascinated with the story of Krishna, who as a child, when he opens his mouth, his mother looked inside and saw the whole universe. He's fascinated with the Muslims and how they get down on a rug five times a day and pray. So he tries to do that at the age of about 10 or 11. And his Hindu but secular parents are thinking he's crazy. And then he walks into a church and learns the story of this man named Jesus, who is also God, who died on a cross all bloody. And he says, it was a terrible story but I loved him from the start. Pi grows up studying all these religions and learning about them, and he falls in love with a girl, and life is going well. And then one evening at dinner, his dad announces that they are going to sell the zoo, and they're going to America on a ship with a lot of their animals. Pi is stunned, and saddened because he finally found a girlfriend. They get on the ship. It's a cargo ship, so he and his family are sleeping way down underneath. But one night he hears a lot of thunder, and Pi loves thunderstorms because it reminds him of God. So he says to his brother, let's go up on deck. And his brother says, Pi, leave me alone. Pi goes up on deck. The thunder and the lightning are happening, and he's saying, Oh, God, this is magnificent. You're amazing. And then he realizes that water is pouring over the deck. And then he realizes that the ship is beginning to sink. He rushes down to the cabin where his family was sleeping, only to find out that the entire floor is already filled with water and darkness, and he can't get to them. He swims back up to the deck, sobbing and crying, finds a boat and manages to survive in this little boat as the whole ship goes beneath the ocean. He ends up riding on this boat with a tiger. And one night, hungry and alone and trying to protect himself from the tiger, there's another huge storm the waves are going up and down, thunder and lightning are crashing, and finally Pi in his ragged clothes raises his hands up and says, I give up, I surrender. I surrender. There's 
there comes a point in all of our lives when we say to ourselves, I can't do this by myself. I surrender. I need God. I think one of the reasons Jesus said, blessed are the poor and blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the hungry is because when life is harder, we're more likely to surrender earlier. Whereas if we have a lot of stuff and a lot of prosperity and nobody dies, we still think that we're kind of in control of our lives. We still think that we're the king. But at some point, most of us, or we wouldn't be here, say to ourselves, I cannot run my own life well. I just can't do it. I don't have the control. I don't have the wherewithal. It's not within my capacity. I give up. I surrender. God, can you take over now? The evangelicals call this moment being saved. Other religions call it other things. It's the moment at which we say, you know what? I'm not God. And God, I need you to take over. But what we forget is that that moment, which seems so significant, and it is, is really only the first part of the journey. After we admit that Christ is king, that is God who needs to rule our lives and not we ourselves, then we begin the real journey. Then we have to learn how to listen to our king and how to follow our king's will. I remember in, when the pandemic hit, I was living in an apartment and my bedroom had a window out on a street in Avondale and I woke up that first morning and there was nothing happening. There were no cars, there was no newspaper being delivered, no one was walking outside and I looked out the window and I remember thinking, I give up. God, I think it's time for you to take over now. <laughs> In the gospel, Jesus is talking with Pilate. Pilate has no idea who Jesus is. And so they're talking on two different planets. Pilate is saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, are you asking me this question or did someone ask you to ask me? Jesus hardly ever answers questions directly. Pilate says, I'm not a Jew. In other words, I don't even care if you're the king of the Jews. But are you? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were from this world, armies would be coming in to rescue me. I would be fixing everything. My kingdom is not from this place. So if we follow a king whose kingdom is not from here, how do we do that? If the ruler of our lives is not going to swoop down and 
fix everything for us, how do we know what our king is asking of us? How can we follow a ruler who we can't see? Whose language is a spiritual language? How can we hear the king? This week I was pondering this question of how to hear a king who is not of this world, and I picked up this beautiful book. In it was a story written 2,500 years ago by a man named Cheng Su in China, a Taoist master. The story is about a woodcarver, and the woodcarver's name is King, except you spell it K-H-I-N-G. King the woodcarver is told that he is to make a bell stand. He is given this order by the prince of his village and all the villagers. So he goes away to build this bell stand, and after a few weeks, he brings the bell stand to the king. And the ruler of the land says, Whoa, this is the most beautiful bell stand I have ever seen in my life. Tell me, how did you do this? It must be the work of God. The woodcarver says, let me tell you, there is no secret. All that I did was try to quiet my heart. So I fasted for three days, and at the end of three days, I no longer was influenced by whether people were pleased or not by my bell stand. And then I fasted three more days, and in three more days, I no longer was influenced by whether people would hate my bell stand. And then by the seventh day, I could let go of what you thought, O oh Prince, or what anyone else thought. And by the eighth day, my heart was calm and peaceful. I could listen. So I walked out into the woods and I looked at the trees until I saw one. And when I looked at this tree, I could see the bell stand within it. It was right there waiting for me. All I had to do was carve into the tree to unleash the bell stand that was already there and bring it to you. My friends, our king, who is not of this world, is always talking to us, but in such a gentle and loving voice that we cannot hear it unless we quiet our minds. And you don't have to fast if that scares you, but all of us who live in this crazy and distracted age, full of fear, we have to carve out times of quiet to sit with our king. We have to carve out times of peace to look at a tree, to listen to another human being 
with undivided attention. If we want to follow our King, we are going to have to work at disciplines and practices that protect us from the craziness of the world in which we live. You are going to have to become adept at prayer. You are going to have to become adept at sitting here in a pew or watching this service online, but taking time to quiet your minds. The language of our king is a language of depth and love. It is already there right before you, waiting for you to see and hear. But in order to discover what the king asks of you, we are going to have to quiet our minds and hearts to see the bell stand that is within us. You know, every Sunday morning before we worship, Tim Tuller rings a bell nine times. It's an ancient liturgical practice because the bell is the purest sound in the world. It calls us to the king. Oh, believers, those of you who have finally admitted you can't do it on your own, it's time for us to become practitioners of silence, of worship, of prayer, so that we can discover the beautiful love language of our King. Amen.